the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. I think this event is more important than ever as 2021, 2022, 2023 presented new challenges to investors in retirement, um, including poor returns on bonds, poor return on stocks, and high inflation um, that can be persistent. It can be persistent for three, four, five, six years, as it was in the 1970s. Don't think that it automatically goes away. Joining me today, oh, and you can sign up for the event at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com or chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Joining me today, CFP Chad Burton. Chad, let's talk about the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, um, some of the tech funds that are out there, like the XLK. Um, what are your thoughts when approaching those? Because they're very popular ways to invest and have had pretty sensational uh, returns, both on the upside and on the downside in recent years. Well, yeah, and it's the, I mean, the S&P 500, for example, which is obviously one of the most widely held positions in people's 401ks and index funds and things like that. And there's so many different versions of it, whether it's S&P 500 index funds from Vanguard or Fidelity or, or whoever it may be, but there's also... I mean, if you want ETFs where you can buy it, you know, in a brokerage account, trades all day like a stock, you have SPY, IVV, VOO. There's all sorts of different ways to invest into the S&P 500. And I think the term 500, people think, okay, it's it's 500 stocks. I'm really well diversified, but it's a market cap weighted index. And good or bad, it's the most concentrated I've seen it in the 30 years that I've been doing this. Um, it, it's, it's really quite interesting. And the way that the S&P 500 works is it's market cap weighted. So more money when you invest in the S&P 500 goes into the largest companies in America. Well, what's made people more productive um, and has been more disruptive in terms of, hey, where's the revenue going has been technology. So when we look at the S&P 500, and the reason why I bring this up, Rob, is because you know, obviously with a lot of listeners and clients in the Bay Area, stocks like Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Amazon, Meta, Google, you know, those are all widely held positions, Tesla, Broadcom. Um, So people hold these positions individually and then they invest in the S&P 500. And, you know, that's fine to have more concentrated exposure when you're younger, but as you get into retirement, and you're starting to withdraw money out of your portfolio, you need to come up with a plan to smooth out returns, to lower volatility, lower overall risk, because you're no longer adding to those investments. You're starting to draw from them. So I think people are now struggling with that idea of how do I go from growth and S&P 500 investing to slowly transitioning over, say, a 10-year period to a more balanced portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. And and so some people will be selling. It's interesting. I, you know, some people think, okay, I'm going to sell my Apple 
or my NVIDIA RSUs and I'm going to turn around and buy the S&P 500. Well, if you look at the S&P 500, the top holdings, um, 7.4% Microsoft, 6.54% Apple, 6, uh, 4.22% NVIDIA, 3.76% Amazon. Um, so you're, you're, you're getting kind of back into the same positions all correlated than ever before, or more correlated than ever before. If we look at the QQQ, which is the NASDAQ ETF, mm-hmm. it's 9% Microsoft, wow. 8.47% Apple, 5% Amazon, 5.14% NVIDIA, 4.76 Meta, uh, 4.46 Broadcom. Uh, so it, it's really important for people to recognize, okay, if I'm, if I'm starting to be too concentrated in my company's stock or into a specific large cap growth sector, how do I diversify? Should I be selling my RSUs as they vest because they're taxable anyways? And, and then should I, what should I invest in? And so you have to recognize what you already own and what you should be adding to. Um, another popular ETF that people buy, Rob, um, to get into the technology sector is XLK, the Technology Select Spider ETF. Yep. And that's 23% Microsoft, 19% oh. Apple, 6% NVIDIA, 5.47% Broadcom. So um, people are owning those stocks individually, and then they're adding the, these three positions are pretty common. So they get overweight and they don't realize in just large cap growth, which, by the way, has been probably the best place to be in the last 10 years. But it's been, uh, you know, one of those biggest, longest 10 year performance outperformance. Um, and gosh, let's, let's just go back in, and that jumps in people, time. That jumps people back to 2000, 2002, Chad, where large cap growth underperformed massively. But that was a different story because there was like thousands of IPOs at that point in time. And now there's not. And there was companies that weren't earning money and now they are earning money. A lot of, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of trade-offs, right? It is. And and back then, you know, you and I were like, what is happening right now? Because there's, there's companies that were going to the moon with no revenues and we you know, did a pretty good job at sticking to our guns and not getting sucked into that whole mess. Um, and you know, this AI is obviously disruptive. Everybody's waiting for what's Apple going to do to kind of boost revenue in that area, for example, because it's not like the revenue has been great year over year. Um, it's coming. It's coming, uh, this summer, June. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was listening to, uh, Dan Niles on, on that front this morning, but anyway, it's it's still a matter of it, it doesn't matter as much as you're 30, 40, 50, but as you transition to that age of retirement of 65 and you just look at if if you would have owned a value ETF from January 1st to the end of 2023, you would have actually outperformed um, a growth ETF with all of this stuff in it, even though 2023 it had a huge year. You actually should have owned both and it would have smoothed out your returns. It would have dampened the downside and it would have still participated in the, in the majority of the upside. That's right. Um, but it's just recognizing what the S&P 500 is and, and then recognizing, you know, what do you own too much of? What should you be buying? Should be There should be there's some large cap value in your life, some small cap, uh, mid cap. And we can talk about active versus passive today if we want to. But the S&P 500 sector weightings are information technology, healthcare, financials, consumer discretionary, consumer services, industrials, consumer staples, energies, utilities, materials, and real estate. And right now, if we look at the top 10 holdings in the S&P 500, um, it's 80% technology. It's the most concentrated the top 10 holdings have been, I believe, in, in 
the last 50 years of the S&P 500. Um, so just it's just something to recognize. As you say, I'm going to diversify so I can deal with the sequence of return risk in retirement. What should you be selling and what you should should be buying? Don't want to work forever? Check out the Retirement Planning Guide on robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. So one of the big hot topics recently has been the 4% rule. Is it still relevant? Or is it something that's had its day in the sun? Another one is active versus passive management. And these approaches can create a lot of variables on your return and variables to digest on risk versus um, appropriateness of you know your portfolio. I, I see it on a regular basis. CFP Chad Burton sees it on a regular basis. Even myself, as I'm approaching retirement, um, I look at the 4% rule and I go, I wonder if that's for me. And I have to defer to CFP Chad Burton. Chad, let's talk about the 4% rule and then maybe we'll switch into active versus passive investing after that. Sure. Thoughts? Yeah, so the the 4% rule, I'm, today, uh, I think it was today or yesterday in the Financial Advisor magazine, um, Paul Samuelson wrote this article. It says, the 4% rule, neat, plausible, and wrong. Cool, <laughs> so, I like it. There's always stuff to write stories about on this 4% rule because it's been, you know, is the 4% rule dead or not? That was all last year. Is the 60-40 dead or not? Um, yeah. Now bonds return to, you know, pretty attractive rates. <laughs> especially to after inflation numbers recently. Um, the the issue is, is that it's never a rule to live by. It's just kind of a rule to say, am I even close to being able to live off of my assets? And the idea is that you say, okay, if I add up my entire, all of my accounts together and multiply it by 0.04 for 4%, um, is that plus any other sources of income like pension, real estate, social security, is that going to be enough for me to pay my expenses and and live off of my assets. Now, when you do that, you have to realize that your expenses include your taxes and your healthcare costs, not just keeping the lights on. It also includes miscellaneous things like occasional home maintenance and new car replacement and things like that. So it's really just a basic idea to say, oh man, I, I'm, I'm pretty close. Maybe I better consult a certified financial planner or practitioner that's, you know, a fiduciary that can really help me make that decision if I should walk in and put in my notice, because that's a big step. Um, and in real life, it's smiley face spending. I can't remember who coined that phrase, but when you look at spending patterns in retirement, it's like the a smiley face where in the first several years, you're doing all the stuff you didn't have time to do, whether it's travel or, uh, you know, fix up your house, buy a second home, do an RV thing for a while. Um, and then as you age and you get a little bit um, older, uh, you not only start to eat a little bit less, but you tend to travel a little bit less and things like that. So your spending starts to dip and then into your eighties, your healthcare costs go up and it starts to increase again. So it's never a straight line. I mean, any linear cash flow model is wrong on a linear cash flow model as part of the seven steps that we talk about. You have to use a conservative rate of return and the proper rates of inflation to see if you're even close to having enough money till age 100. But then after that, you really got to run scenarios. And you know, the, to to step back for a minute on the four percent rule, the idea is that if you had a, a million dollars and you could live off four percent, it's forty thousand dollars a year. If you invest that million dollars properly in a balanced portfolio, 
you should be able to draw $40,000 this year. And then next year, $41,200. That's with 3% inflation, right? And every year you can draw a little bit more. And Rob, I can, I can tell you that people just don't do that. And in, in the you know 30 years that I've been doing this, never is it an automatic 3% increase. It's just not how people live. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you tend to, yeah, I mean, yeah, it just doesn't happen that way. It's like things might stay level for a year or two, and then you'll notice a need for an increase and that's okay for a year or two. And then you notice another need for an increase in terms of your systematic withdrawals out of your investment accounts. There's also different phases in life, right? I mean, if you want to retire early before 65, before Medicare kicks in, there's that phase where you're paying for all of your health insurance on your own until Medicare kicks in. Um, there's that phase between retirement and when you take social security, which most people are seem to be waiting till 70 these days to take social security. And then there's another change in spending habits. Once you turn 73, which is when your required minimum distributions kick in from your retirement accounts. That's the amount you have to take and take out and pay taxes on it. So expenses are just lumpy. I mean, I mean, what can you think of Rob between, you know, having a new car every once in a while, um, grandkids. Oh, and here, you know, here's one is home maintenance. This is what catches a lot of people off guard that retire on just social security and fixed income. Everything happens in threes, right? It's like, you're going to have a water leak, a refrigerator go out and like your dishwasher break all within the same month, right? It always happens in these, in these lumps. And so you have to have a plan for those types of expenses and, and that's hard to plan for. So what we typically do is we say, okay, what's your home value? Let's put in a expense line item. That's 1% a year maintenance cost. And that's not every year that just, it's a lumpy mm-hmm. situation, right? But we just got to put something in there. Yeah. It's um, the home maintenance is something that surprised me as I've gotten older, but you're right. Things always tend to happen. Last year was the snow on the roof in the mountains and, it's something that you can never predict as far as what's coming next. Um, with that said, the 4% rule clearly isn't neat and tidy for me, but it, it is kind of a good place to start thinking about, or are you totally pushing that aside and saying, you know, uh, we got to do something a little bit better. Well, yeah, it's just a, it's just a base. And then you got to okay. run the models and you, and you yeah. got to run different scenarios. Like, um, a guy came in and he had, you know, he he had some health issues, so he didn't think he was going to live past age 80. So on his spreadsheet that he had made at home, he assumed that expenses were cut in half at age 80 for, you know, his surviving spouse and that she would have enough money to last till age 100. I'm like, okay, let's think about this because what expenses are actually cut in half at the death of a spouse? Not a lot, right? It's maybe food costs. Yeah, maybe. But other than that, your 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 living expenses mostly stay the same. Um, and you actually have less social security coming in. And and then there's that marriage penalty in, in when it comes to taxes too. So in some cases, taxes could potentially increase when one spouse passes away and the majority of the expenses are staying intact. So Realistically, in in real life, you're adjusting withdrawals. They're small adjustments every couple of years. And then during rough market cycles, you have to say, okay, you know, if you've set up the three years worth of portfolio draws that I've talked about in the past, plus a balanced portfolio, you're going to be okay to get through those rough cycles. But when the market's down by 20%, that doesn't mean you want to cut your expenses by 20% because that would be really rough to, to change to. So we can talk about how you do that. 
For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. There's a new dating app dropping called Score. And it's for people with credit scores of 675 and or higher. It's only going to be for 90 days. You join it by going to joinneon.com. Financial issues are the leading cause of divorce in this country. And it's a big issue for Generation Z. Um, They take pride in financial literacy, unlike other generations. Chad, um, you've got a couple Generation Zs running around your house. Um, How are they approaching financial issues and things like retirement readiness? Uh, Well, I mean, all three of them are in the CFP program. Well, but Ava's at U of O and she's, there's not an actual CFP program. She's in finance. So, mm-hmm. um, and they've, they've all had TD Ameritrade, now Schwab accounts. They've got the Acorns app, um, funding their Roths and, you know, just teaching them about index funds and that compound savings. It's, you know, it's interesting, Rob, because it's like so many people wait until their fifties to really start saving. But if they would have just saved a small amount starting in their twenties, they would be way ahead of the game. And I love some of these memes that are out there that, um, you know, I'm sure glad I had square dancing and junior high because it really helps during square dancing season. It, you know, it's a okay. joke on there's right. no way that you know, there's no preparation for taxes. Nobody knows how to do a tax return anymore, but they took square dancing in school. Uh, so there's just all sorts of issues with our education and lack of financial readiness out there. Um, but, uh, you know, we could go on about that forever. Yeah. And I just thought I'd bring it up with Valentine's Day here. So the worst holiday of ever. Um Sequence of returns or passive versus active investment. These are things that, that you're going to be talking about at the seven test for retirement readiness. Uh, seven steps, excuse me, for retirement readiness in Menlo Park. Um, great hotel. It's the Stanford Park Hotel. It's got easy parking. It's off El Camino, 630, 30 on Thursday. Um, you want to talk active versus passive investing? Or is there anything else you want to hit on that 4% rule? Uh, I think we're given the 4% rule. I mean, it's just a matter of, um, you know, also, well, if we go back to it for a minute, you know, the market is positive over 70% of the time and typically a balanced portfolio, like a 60, 40 over the last 50 years has been positive, like almost 80% of the time. And so what do you do when the market is negative then, right? If it's, that's the other 20% of the time on that balanced portfolio example, what do you do if the market's down and the average decline is say, you know, down 14%, even though the average annual return is much higher, what do you do when it's down that much? Do you cut your household expenses by 14% that year? I mean, that's terrible, right? I mean, how do you do that? Most people can't. That would mean you're cutting out your entire vacation budget or something like that. I would just, so, hide, the, I would just hide the credit card for my spouse. And she, she'll, she'll, she'll just think she lost it and she'll order a new one. And there you go. You're done. Easy. I'm kidding. <laughs> I know it wouldn't work. So, um, yeah. And it's a matter of like, okay, do I have to cut it? And if you run, if you have a, you know, living, breathing financial plan, like all of our clients have a website where they can see these cash flow models, you can then see like, oh, if I make a minor adjustment of say 1% on my spending for the next 10 years, that's the same thing as one year worth of just cutting a bunch of expenses out. So you can make small adjustments in the financial plan. Or in many cases, you can go through the correction, rerun your cash flow model and say, I'm just fine. I can keep my spending just where it is because I have a plan for this. I had enough cash, I had enough dividends and interest or passive income from my portfolio. That's going to come no matter what. 
Um, and it was balanced. So I didn't fall as much as the market. And these types of corrections are expected every five to seven years in the plan. So I'm fine. Let's just keep going. Let's keep moving forward. And, and, uh, and we won't have to make massive changes. I've done a little bit of that. I, one of my afternoon treats when I was done work was getting lunch and I've replaced it with going to the gym. Now the gym was a $500 investment up front, but way better than a $20 lunch 10 times a year, 10 times, you know, in six months. So anyway, I I've done it. I figured out a better stress remedy for myself and uh, saving money while also doing it. Just like you said, taking out one little thing here and killing cable TV and going to streaming TV. That's another one. There's ways to do it. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's going back to the other direction now. It's like, everybody's like, you know, somebody should invest something like cable where you can go to one place and have everything there because everybody has all these different subscriptions. Yeah. Um, I keep seeing that ad. I don't know if you've used it at all or tried it, that rocket money that supposedly, yeah. you know, you're exactly. supposed to be able to identify when you're paying, you know, because half the time when I want to watch something, I'm like, where did I sign up through parent from Paramount? Is that through Apple TV? Is it through yeah. Prime or is it through cable? I can't even remember. So I, I have to assume I've probably got like two Disney subscriptions somewhere. That's right. But I had, I had two Disney subscriptions. It was actually two YouTube PVs where my spouse went out of town and she wanted to watch a hockey game. So she signed up, forgot to cancel it. And rocket money was able to catch the subscriptions. I use rocket money. It's three bucks a month. If you want to be on the cheap end, they tell you name your own price, start at $3. Um, I think it's really good at catching double subscriptions, but also showing you subscriptions that you forgot about. Yeah. I just have to take the time to read all the the disclaimers on it, you know, what, what are they tracking? What are they doing with the information? That's what I'd want to know. See, I'm okay but, with you that. Know, I, I got to give up something and privacy is one of those things I'm willing to give up. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Right. You know, it is what yeah. it is. Well, you mentioned that the active versus passive and it's so funny because it seems like people just even financial planning firms oftentimes try to take the stance that I'm only active or I'm only passive. And I think that's a mistake. I think okay. that both active and passive make sense in a portfolio. Okay. Give me an example. Um, so, well, for, as an example, if you had uh, the same amount of money in a taxable account, um, as you do in, you say your 401k. So in a, in a taxable account, when you own mutual funds and ETFs, um, and they, as they pay dividends and as they make trades, you're paying taxes every single year, right? Mm -hmm. And in a 401k, that's all tax deferred until you take the money out. And so one approach you could take is say, I want to go take a passive investment approach in my taxable account and own mostly index funds and passive ETFs because they're, they're more tax efficient. Um, but in the retirement account, that's where you might be a little bit more active on your approach. Um, th there's a, a argument to be made where it's, it's really hard for active large cap managers to outperform the S and P 500 over time, especially when you get the most concentrated S and P 500 that we've ever seen. Like we just talked about a couple segments ago, and that happens to be a really good performing sector for a year or two, which is like, you know, which is technology. Um, so there, there is a case to be made where a lot of your large cap investing can be passive. Now I don't like just the S and P 500. I like to have some rules on top of it. So there's a, there's a, a form of passive investing called smart beta, where you take an index like the S and P 500 or the CRISPR index, and you create some rules around it. Maybe it's profitability or 
uh, you know, value. And you still own the majority of the stocks in the index, but you have cut out a certain tier that you might not think are profitable, but you still own the majority of the index. So that's smart beta. And then there's fully active. And where the research shows is where active tends to pay off is in other asset classes besides large cap. So that could be small cap. It could be mid cap. It could be international. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think small cap value is one that's very important right now because I love small cap value. It's one of my favorite asset classes historically over time. It's, it's, it's always in one of the top areas of performance. Um, the problem now with a lot of indexes in small cap value is they own a lot of financial stocks, Rob, sometimes 14 to 20%. And a lot of them might be small regional banks, which is going to be the one sector that can get really hit during this commercial loan issue. So I would want a small cap value manager that's avoiding that sector right now. And um, same with international, right? You know, you might want an international or emerging market in, uh, active fund so that they can avoid China because most ETFs or index funds that are passive will own a lot of China. That's and right. so that might be something you want to avoid for a while. And really, it's a it's a best of both worlds. Like where where you really want to jump on the a passive bandwagon is after a significant market correction, like twenty percent or more, when everything is cheap, then go for it. You know, get in and get in as cheap as possible. But um, I really do like prefer right now passive in the small cap, mid cap, and international space. Um, and but I, I love it all, right? I, we even have our individual stock portfolio, so it's I, we kind of like to do a little bit of everything, and that helps diversify and diversification means smoothing out returns and lower volatility over time. And that's what you want in retirement. Um, when you're building wealth and you're 20, 30 years old, just plug as much as you can in index funds because you know, the volatility doesn't matter. But once you start drawing your money out, those sequence of return risks make a lot of sense, make a lot of difference, right? You, you have to make sure you're dealing with the sequence of return risks and the idea of active management where it really shines is when it keeps up with the market in the good years, but outperforms in the bad years. That's what I want to look for is the average annual rate of return is extremely misleading. I want the, what is my total return? What's the geometric mean? What's the standard deviation? You know, I want to smooth out my returns because as I show in the event, the seven steps to retirement readiness, I'll show people two different portfolios. One has a lower average annual rate of return over 10 years, but you end up with more money in it. Um, because it's a game of math and math is kind of what got me into the business. Yeah. I'm surprised at how many individuals want to be active investors, Chad. I got an email mm -hmm. yesterday from firefighter who he wants to grow his portfolio, but he wants to look at the financials and he was asking me, what do I need to do? And I'm like, you need 20 years of experience or you need a CFA. Um, you don't just do it magically and it doesn't just happen. You're not going to be able to dive deep into financials. It takes a lot of work. This is something Chad's done his whole life, financial planning. It's a whole lifetime of work that he's going to share his knowledge with you Thursday night, the 15th of February. That's right now, basically. Um, 6.30 to 8.30 in Menlo Park, California at the Stanford Hotel. Uh, Stanford Park Hotel, 6.30 to 8.30. It's the seven steps for retirement readiness. You will learn something, I promise you. He's put his whole life's work into this idea and this concept. Sign up at chadburton.com or robblackshow.com. That's chadburton.com or robblackshow.com. Big event, Thursday evening, 6.30 to 37 Steps for Retirement Readiness. Take a break. We'll be right back. Brought to you by EP Wealth. 
This is the Rob Black Show. I believe that we went through a major market cycle tied towards lower interest rates that kind of, in my opinion, started after 9-11, where we kind of broke the economic systems of the world and said, let's lower interest rates to fight inflation, to fight higher oil prices, um, or when we had inflation, oil prices, um, we had to figure out some financial engineering, whether it was through the federal side of our government or the fiscal side of our government, of our uh, policy. Federal Reserve has done, I think, not only of the United States, but the, the banking systems of the world did the markets a major favor by lowering interest rates, but I think they also hurt savers. And since 2001 through 2000. 23, maybe 2022, we, we saw lower and lower interest rates. Every then the Fed would kind of goof around and raise interest rates and slow the economy down. Like, no, 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 we didn't really mean that. And they'd lower interest rates again. And in that period from 2001 to 2022, people with gray hair, people 50 above, 60 above, who wanted CDs, who wanted money in the bank to earn interest, they got hurt the most. Our retirees had to figure out different ways to get income in retirement other than being on the safe side of the ledger. And when I say safe, cash, bonds, CDs, money markets. And I think in 2021, 2022, when we started seeing inflation march considerably higher, the Fed has to say, okay, we've kept money too low for too long with interest rates. Rob Black got three or four mortgages under 5%. My last three mortgages now are 3.2%, 2.65%. That's crazy. My dad never saw anything like that in his lifetime. My first mortgages were 12% and 10% 25, 30 years ago. So we've kind of gone into a different era where money went from 7 to 8% for a mortgage down to 2 to 3% for a mortgage. It makes a home a lot more affordable for a lot more people, and it drove prices higher. It helped drive prices higher. Not enough housing also helped drive prices higher. But I think we're in a different market cycle. How long it lasts, I can't really tell you. But if it lasts as long as last one, which was 20 years, you better be ready to do things a little bit differently. Um, if interest rates stay between 4 and 5%, that's different than if interest rates stay go between 35 and 4.5%. I think if I were a betting man from looking at other analysts who are more in tune with the economy than I could ever be, I think we're probably in for at least a five-year period of interest rates between three and a half and four and a half percent. And that goes back to 25 years ago when I started in this industry and I came up with some mantras. I came up with some sayings. Warren Buffett has them. Be fearful when others are greedy. Be greedy when others are fearful. Buy low, sell high is the idea, right? You should have things like that. One of the ones that I have is invest in bonds and treasuries and income-producing vehicles when interest rates are 4%. When interest rates are below 4%, 3.5%, invest in stocks. And that should work out pretty well in your lifetime if you play in that kind of environment. Now, again, that's not a, that's not a gold standard. That's not you can do this and, and put it on autopilot. But that's the environment that I'm looking for to solve my problems with, with decisions. A lot of retirees don't understand market risk of flat markets or down markets. 
2022 was an awful year to retire. The stock market and the bond market were both down. Uh, there was a lot of drama with the pandemic as well. And a lot of people thought, oh man, stocks are going to zero. And they, they sold out at a bottom. Only to see 2023 be a recovery year like none we've ever seen before for most people. So a lot of people have all their assets and equities. Even in retirement, the rational is that over the long-term, equities tend to be one of the best places to grow. That's true. Claims often point to long-term averages, which when you dive a little deeper, can be a little bit misleading. I don't want you to have all your eggs in one basket until you have a CFP, financial planner, review your basket. Uh, If you had an account with $100,000 and expected that account to grow on average 10%, you would probably expect the following. Year zero, $100,000. Year one, $110,000 because you just got a 10% gain. Year two, $121,000 because you got a 10% gain on the original one hundred plus a 10% gain on the $10,000 that you just pulled in the previous year. But if the stock markets are not consistent, if you experience a 20% loss and then a 30% gain, you're not where you think you are. Year one, you're at $100,000 or year zero, $100,000. Year one, there's a 20% loss in the market. It happens. Not often, but it happens. You'd be down to 80000 In year two, if you get a 30% gain, way better than two years of 10% gains from the previous example, you'd only end up at 104000 The sequence of returns is super important in retirement. Now, I'm not rigging that math on that 30% and 20% versus the two tens. Let me give you an example. Year zero, $100,000. Year one, the market goes up 30%. You're at $130,000. Year two, you get a 20% loss. Down market happens. You're back to $104,000. So it's better to get two straight 10% gains than to get a 30% gain and a 20% loss. The flat market cycle could be rough. For 10 years, every 20 years or so, you're going to see some flat periods of growth. Some of the more notable flat markets over the past 100 years started in 2000, 1966, and 1929. They happen historically in your lifetime. Visit the Rob Black Show online at robblackshow.com. Listen to archived podcasts, market updates, and information from EP Wealth's certified financial planners online at robblackshow.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com